Welcome back to the Life Below Parallel podcast. Today we sit down with Corey Faust. Corey has an incredible story about taking the risk of moving from a small town in Pennsylvania to the big city of Austin, Texas, with only a few hundred dollars to his name. We hear about how BMX riding became his way to escape, and although it helped him make a living, he was able to stay humble and remain passionate. How he bowled a perfect 300, and the practice for bowling taught him how to enter his own headspace and de-stress. Corey has a powerful mindset around a recent unfortunate event in his life, and we are so happy he was willing to share. So here it is in three, two, one. All right, what's up? What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Life Below Parallel podcast. Today, we have a special guest, my good friend, Corey Faust. He is a professional bike rider, uh, currently living in uh, Park City, Utah for the moment. But, you know, I'm pretty sure he likes to call either Pittsburgh or Austin his home. Uh, Matt's here with us as well. And we're just going to get a conversation going today to talk about uh, Corey's life in professional BMX a little bit. What's up, Corey? What's up, guys? How's it going? Good. Good, how man. You, how, you feel, how you feeling today? Uh, I'm feeling, you know, a bit under the weather compared to a normal day, but um, spirits are up compared to two weeks ago. That's for sure. That's good. I'm going to save that kind of stuff towards the end a little bit. All right. So um, one of the first things that I really wanted to get going with this is, you know, you grew up in a small town and you created an opportunity for yourself to find your way to Austin, Texas. How do you think that you accomplished that with, uh, with, you know, what I saw you going through as a teenager, you know, between, you know, bouncing back and forth with your mom and your dad and, you know, not really having, uh, the ways to get places outside of your friends picking you up and stuff like that. How did you make the switch to, I am freaking leaving here and, and that's, this is where I'm going to go and it's going to be awesome. What do you think got you to make that shift? Man, I, uh, I left Pennsylvania in 2011 to go to Austin. And the only way that I could like come up with that was, I felt like I was just stuck in this space that I really didn't deserve to be stuck in. Like with, with everybody's mindsets, you know, like we try to find the positives and everything. And I was still finding the positives every day that I could in the space that I was in. But sometimes you just feel trapped. Like you're like, even if you're in a positive space, you feel the need to get out of it. And I kept telling myself that I just needed to, to go. And I, I couldn't think of anywhere to go. I, I, I literally just kind of like tossed a coin and said, if it lands on heads, I'm going to get out of here. If it lands on tails, I'm going to stay and make the best of it. And it landed on heads. And I just like took my finger around a map <laughs> and thought of places where I could go that would be a little better suited for the lifestyle that I enjoy. And Austin was the one that it landed on. And I had $400 to my name and I said, that's enough for a plane ticket. So let's get out of here. Let's do it. Now I'm guessing that you knew people. I'm pretty sure you knew people there in Austin. 
I didn't. I didn't know any, I had never been to Austin in my life. Um, I had, before I went, I had tried to link up with some people. Um, I had found out I had a mutual friend with a friend of mine and oddly enough, that's who picked me up. I had met them for like the second time, I think maybe Okay. upon arrival to Austin, they picked me up at the airport and like the rest was history. Like they, you know, they took me in, they, First thing they did, they took me to a food truck to get some tacos. They tossed me in the living room on like a futon. And it was like we had, it was like we were friends for years. Like it didn't matter that we had only met each other maybe one other time. It was just like, they were just so welcoming. It was, it was such an easy transition. I'm, I'm guessing this person was also uh, a BMX rider. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So if, if you're listening and you don't understand what a BMX rider is, it's just a, a 20 inch bicycle and we like to ride it around and do fun tricks on it. That's how I got to know Corey. And that's what he gets to do with his, uh, with his time. So <clears throat> what was it like getting to Austin and just not knowing anyone and wondering what to do with yourself? Honestly, it was kind of strange being that I'm from such a small town. Like my actual hometown that I'm originally from has 170 people, I think roughly. That's like the population without Amish people. Okay. Um, so going to a big city like this, like I'd spent some time in Pittsburgh, but I've never really like lit, like officially just kind of like gone out as far as Austin. You know, Austin was the furthest I'd ever been away from home. And it was a completely new place. And I guess I realized that it had a big BMX scene, but I didn't think that it was as big as it was until I got there. Like I kind of just got on my bike and rode downtown and I passed probably 25 BMX riders Mm -hmm. within, within like an hour and a half. But the weirdest part about being in that big city versus a small town is that I'm, I find like we obviously have that common bond. We're both on, we're all on BMX bikes, you know? Yeah. So I'm riding by these people, like big groups of people on bikes waving and (laughs) no one waved back, not one person. Oh man. And I was just like, all right, what did I get myself into? Like, this is kind of strange. Cause I'm, you know, I mean, if there's another BMXer in my town, we're, be- we're practically best friends. Cause yeah, we, 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 there's we two of us, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's two of us. Like who, you know, like who, who else are we going to ride with? We, we, didn't have, like, we didn't have a choice to, but to know them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even and, if we, but, even if we didn't like them, we still rode with them. <laughs> yeah. Just cause you didn't have anyone else to do it with and you didn't want to be by yourself. And that was, a, that was probably the strangest transition going into living in Austin was, how many BMX riders there were and how, like, it was just so overwhelming to be around. Did you find it hard to create relationships at first with those riders? Uh, I would say it was difficult at first. Yeah. Just because you like, you know, you would go to the skate park and you would talk to them while you were there, but you, you couldn't really get a feel for what type of person they were outside of that space. And when in 2011, I was what, 23. So at that time, like 
someone who's my age in a city like that, it's hard to tell what kind of stuff they're into. Cause I have a very, I don't know. I'm pretty particular with the way that I live my life. So I like, like I don't try to surround myself with certain types of people. So I'd say at first it was a little, it was a little tough to get into, but then once you figured out who, you know, who the people were that you wanted to to hang with, it was kind of easy. That's what's up. Now, did you find yourself getting homesick at all? Uh, yeah, definitely at first. Like it, the first year that I actually lived there, I didn't, I wasn't able to live there all year. Um, I ended up going home in the summertime. So I ended up basically just being like a winter resident, like a little snowbird. But, um, I don't know. It, I don't know if it was necessarily the homesick or if it was just because I like at first moving there, I couldn't find a job right away. So I was, uh, a, a little in a little bit of a, a struggle. So I had, I like had to go home, but it was kind of nice. Cause I tend, you know, I missed it a little bit. What did you, what did you do to keep a good headspace about not getting a job right away? Whew, that was a tough one. I just, I kept trying to ride every day cause there was, it was so easy for me cause everything was so new. There was so many things I could ride. And I, uh, I mean that like BMX kept me in the right headspace for sure. And it's a, it's a rough town to be in without a job. Cause you're like, you can get sucked into a really, really bad way of life there it is really easy to get stuck in the party mode, man. Like there, it's a college town, university of Texas, man. It's one of the, it's the biggest university around and there's a lot of young people there. It's just like, I think the average age in Austin is like somewhere between 24 and 20, 28 or nine. Oh, Wow. Yeah, it's a really young like there's a really, there's really not really like old people there anymore, you know? Like a lot of the a lot of the older generation have moved out or like moved out of the, I guess Travis County where Austin's located. Okay. But it's it's a lot of young people, man. It's it's a growing city. So you were able to you were able to stay in good headspace because you have something that's that you know is going to constantly keep you in a decent headspace, even even when it is frustrating. It's something that you love to do. Uh, do you think that that's that's something that's kept you in good headspace throughout your entire life? Absolutely. I don't know. I honestly don't know where my headspace would be without a BMX bike. I mean, I'm sure I would be able to channel it into something else, um, but. I think that my passion for that has just fueled me to think more on the positive side of life instead of the negative side. That's awesome. How have you been able to stay passionate about riding your bike uh, throughout the years without becoming a higher paid professional? Uh, I think it's mostly just because I'm, I've, I've always been a bit of a laid back person, or at least I'd like to think so. Um, I mean, we can all, we all have our moments for sure, but I'd like to, like, I've, I was never really a competitive type, even when I was younger and did, you know, like, like team sports, I, 
I still wasn't the most competitive. Like I think that the, the best idea that you can instill on yourself is to have fun with whatever you're doing. It's like, I constantly just had fun. I wasn't that kind of person that was pushing themselves to learn new tricks all the time. Um, I was just kind of doing my own thing. And if it felt good, I would do it. If it didn't, I wouldn't. And I like at the end of the day, if I had fun, I'd keep doing it. Like if I, if I wasn't having fun anymore, I would, I'd put it down, you know? Okay. That's awesome. That's, that's funny. You know, it's, that's something that I talk about a lot. It's like, I believe that you need to be having fun with whatever you're doing, or you're not going to be able to stay interested in it at all. And I also believe that having a constant, something that you can always rely on is so important to maintaining a good headspace throughout your life. And it's, and Corey and I know each other through riding bikes. And that's, that's been the same constant for me that I, that I've always had that's kept me in a good headspace or it's somewhere I know I can go if I'm in a bad headspace. Like, cause I know when I go there, I'm not going to think about anything else. And would you agree with me on that, Corey? Is that something that it's been for you as well? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, I was, I was carless for 10 years on purpose because <laughs> I like, you know, I, I had a car and it, it ended up, um, it ended up crapping out and I, there was no way that I could fix it cause I didn't have the money. And so I was carless when I moved to Austin and I was, I hadn't had a vehicle in almost nine years and people t- like they kept asking me, they're like, how do you deal with that? And I was like, think about the headspace you put yourself in every day you get in your car, you get in your car and you go to work. If you work a normal nine to five, just like everyone else, you're going to sit in traffic so beyond like before you even arrive to work, you're in a bad headspace because you were frustrated with traffic. Then if you have a bad day at work, you're in another bad headspace, like a, a totally separate one. Then you leave work and you're back in traffic again. So by the time you get home, your whole day was just so frustrating. For me, I rode my bike to work. I had, I, you know, the most beautiful day ever. I'd ride my bike to work. Even if I had a bad day at work, by the time I got home on my 30 minute bike ride, my headspace was cleared again. I forgot what I was even mad about, you know, like, like this, that wasn't like, for me, I think that that, that has a, that had a lot to do with keeping, keeping my good headspace in Austin was not driving. Cause it's, it's such a busy city. And so my bike definitely helped out with more than just like, you know, pushing myself to, to be a better bike rider. It just helped me in general with my attitude towards life. <laughs> Cause I, I don't like, I have a vehicle now and I still don't drive it. <laughs> like unless, unless I'm going cross country, like I would never drive my, my vehicle to work. Okay. Like I, I don't, I don't think I could ever live somewhere again that I had to drive to work. Okay. That's why I think that's why I'll probably always live somewhere where it's somewhat warmer I don't think I'll ever be able to live in snow again because I, I think it would mess with my headspace a little too much. Okay. Because you just don't – you don't want to have to be forced to get back in your car. No. I, I think I would still find a way to ride a bike in the snow. I'd just, just like – Yeah. Just just for the sake of comfort, you like you would rather be uncomfortable than get in your car to go to work. I think that's awesome. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't like, I keep looking outside at my vehicle now. Cause you know, I'm getting, I'm getting ready to, to drive back to Texas from Utah. And I, I'm just like dreading it every day. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I wish I could drive. I wish I could ride my bike with all my stuff back to Texas. I don't want to make this trip. I just want to be there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've talked a lot about riding bikes and we're going to get back to it in just a little bit, but I want to uh, go back to something that I believe was before I even met you and see if it's had any effect on the, or maybe if you can even look for it to have an effect on the way that you've come up throughout your life. And, you know, I doubt that you even had a clue that I would go here, but you are not only a talented bike rider, but you're also very, very talented in the sport of bowling. Do you think that, and I know that that was something that you did prior to riding bikes. Do you think that you getting good at that set you up for success and getting good at riding your bike? That's a good question. Cause bike riding actually came about three years after I started bowling. But I think that they kind of meshed together because I didn't get, I wasn't really that good at bowling at first. It took me a long time. Um, it's like I, I ended up being getting better at bowling while I was riding bikes. Awesome. So I think that, I think that they fueled each other a little bit because every bowling was only on Saturday mornings. So it was like every other day, you know, I could ride and I'd, you know, I'd have to go to school or whatever. And then on Saturday mornings, that was the bowling day. And, uh, when I was 15, my first job was at the bowling alley. I worked the snack bar. So I was the guy handing out Reese's cups and chips and, and all that stuff and Mountain Dew to all the <laughs> central Pennsylvania people. Um, so basically, and, basically a central Pennsylvania's regular diet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Mountain Dew. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I don't know. That might, that was probably the code red days too. Um, but yeah, I, I got a job at the bowling alley and I think it, it was kind of like how bike riding was. It was like bowling helped me get into a better headspace when I was kind of, you know, feeling down or just in any sort of bad way, I think it helped a lot because it would just kind of mellow me out. Like I, if I was angry and I was at work, like as soon as I got off work, I would just, I'd bowl a couple games and just kind of let myself forget about it. But bowling for me was way more frustrating than bike riding. I got way more down on myself when I was bowling than bike riding. Um, because I think I had, there were so many more people surrounding me that there was just so much more pressure to do good. Cause it was kind of a team sport, you know? Okay. Like every Saturday morning it was a team thing. So when I'm on my bike, it's me. Like, it's just me. No one's telling me I have to do anything or like, there's, there's nothing that I need to do on my bike. You have, but You don't have anyone else's expectations to live up to while you're on your bike. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, when I like, you felt like you did when you were bowling. Yeah. Cause well, I mean, you know, my, my mom's there. There's like, you know, your team's there. Everyone, like everyone's families are there watching the kids. And it's like, 
it's, it's kind of like when you go to a lot of those sporting events in central PA, like everybody is so caught up with sports. It's like, they're on the team. Like every week you go, you like, you watch football and everybody's like, Oh, we lost. And I'm, I, I'm just like, no, you didn't lose. No, like nobody lost. Like you're not on the team, <laughs> you know, like, like for us, it was like, like every time that, you know, the parents would just be disappointed in the kids, it made us feel even worse. Cause it's like, they're not even on the team and they're like more disappointed than we are. So it would bring you down. And I just, I didn't like that at all. It was, it was really, really hard to be around. So like the one day a week thing was, was good enough for me, but then throughout the week, if I had to work, I'd be at the bowling alley. I'd just bowl by myself and it would be way better. Right on. So I, one more thing in uh, the bowling category before we get to where you're currently sitting. You, uh, I remember that your dad had an incentive with you that he would give you $300 if you bowled a 300. And I know that happened on one occasion. Did it ha- How many times did you do that? Uh, I bowled a 300 one time, one time. Uh, as, as a youth. Um, one time. Uh, I was, it was 2006, February, 2006. Um, That's it's that significant (laughs) that you remember. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they give you like a a ring. It's like a class ring, uh, that has like, you know, 300 game on it. And it's got the, your name and date inscribed on the inside. Um, at least when you do it in a sanctioned league. So like if you do it in league play, they give you an award for it. Um, after that, as an adult, I bowled three, two ninety nines, two, two, nine, And I think a two ninety seven. Oh, wow. so, but it's, it's such a, it's such a crazy feeling. Cause it's, you get, so, it's so significant of an accomplishment that you remember the six times that you were that close. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you can't forget it because like you get, so much pressure builds up on yourself. Like you get up to that last roll, your legs are shaking. You're just like, even if you, I'm one of those people where like, if I know that I'm bowling strike after strike after strike, I'm trying so hard not to look at the scoreboard. Like I'm trying so hard to just kind of keep that, that good headspace and not get myself worked up at all. But no matter what, it doesn't matter if you didn't look at the scoreboard at all. If you get up to that last roll and realize you're on the last one, <laughs> your your le- like your legs are fully shaking, and you it, it was like Bambi legs. Bar- oh man, yeah, you can barely stand. It is it is a crazy feeling that I I never thought I would get in a bowling alley, but it was there, man. It was it was crazy. And if do you think any of that? practice created anything for you to carry into your adulthood? Oh, most definitely. Like a, yeah. lesson, I, a lesson that you learned from it. Yeah. I, I, like I, like I was saying that when you're like, when you're by yourself, when I was able to practice by myself versus being around a bunch of people and a team, I think it was so much better. It like, it taught me that I can do that with anything. Like, no matter what I'm doing, I can take a break from it and go do something by myself to kind of calm myself down or just ease frustration. 
Like there's no, there was just no need to be that frustrated. And I, I got that a lot from my mom when I was younger too. She would always try to tell me like, it's not worth getting frustrated. And it took me a long time to actually get <laughs> like to let that sink in. Yeah. But the, the older I got, the more I, I paid attention to that and, and, uh, definitely adapted it to my life. So right now you're going through a tough time. Why don't you tell us what happened? Uh, uh, so I'm in, I'm currently in park city, Utah. Uh, I was out here to start, um, being on the construction crew for the new Woodward camp in, here in park city. Um, I was about two weeks in everybody. I mean, if you've ever been to Utah or know the area, it is unbelievable. There's mountains everywhere. It's one of the most beautiful places I've probably ever been in the United States. And everybody out here has mountain bikes. And so naturally I wanted to try it. (laughs) And, uh, all of us as a group went to a place called deer Valley, like two and a half weeks ago It was the first of the month, September 1st. Um, I rented a bike. It was an awesome bike. It was one that I had actually considered buying and rented it, went and rode some stuff and felt really comfortable, even though mountain bikes are so much different from BMX bikes. It was really easy to get comfortable on it just with how many years I've ridden bikes, like the bike control kind of, it, it definitely carries over to, to other, other bike styles. And, uh, we rode, we were probably riding for about three hours or so. So it wasn't my first time through the, the jumps that we were riding. And, uh, I hit a jump and I was going really fast and I just watched the landing go right by me. And I was front wheel heavy and to the side and landed completely past the jump and just really hurt myself. <laughs> um, well, I didn't knock myself out. I, you know, I got up and I, I could tell that there was some stuff going on that wasn't good. I didn't know how bad, obviously, cause I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell. Um, I started, um, spitting up blood, which was a first for me in my life. And, uh, so I got back on the bike and rode halfway down the mountain. Um, cause I didn't really know what else to do because obviously an ambulance can't get up to the top of the mountain and, uh, got about halfway down and felt like I was going to pass out. So we called patrol and they came up to get me and they took me down to an ambulance at the bottom of the mountain. And turns out, uh, after I got to the hospital, I had eight broken ribs. Four of those eight were multiple fractures um, a punctured lung that wasn't fully collapsed and, uh, a fractured T7 vertebrae. So what's your current situation look like then with all of that uh, stuff? Well, um, it's been, yeah, two and a half weeks since the accident. I've had a follow-up. Um, the doctors were a little bit mesmerized when I walked into the trauma center for my, uh, follow-up, they were just cause I just walked in like normal. And obviously I've got quite a bit of issues going on on my right, on the right side of my body. Right. 
but yeah, as of right now, I'm basically just confined to a chair. <laughs> like I can get up and walk around. Um, but no, I can't lift anything that's heavier than a gallon of milk. So nothing heavier than eight pounds. Um, I can't like, I just got cleared to drive because they, uh, like I'm, like I said, I'm basically stuck in a recliner chair all day. So I guess driving isn't much different from sitting (laughs) in that, from sitting in that chair. Um, but yeah, I pretty much can't do any major activity for eight to 10 weeks. Hey, Corey, can I just ask quickly that accident sounds like it could have been a lot worse. Am I correct? Yeah. So, so when, when you were like mid air, you know, nose down, slightly turned overshooting this, this landing, what was going through your mind? Oh, I knew right off the lip, just from where, like, from how long I've ridden bikes. And as soon as I took off, I knew that it was going to be bad. Um, but there's certain things that, that we do as bike riders that kind of prepare us almost for crashes. Um, there's some crashes that, you know, if you just jump off your bike and bail, they'll be better off. Or there's some times where you just know you have to go down with the ship and this was a, a go down with the ship moment. So you've um, been in that position before. Absolutely. Yeah. Just yeah. not on a mountain bike. So it was a little like these jumps were not small and I was not going slow. Whereas on a BMX bike, a lot of the times the jumps are like perfectly groomed and you're basically like you're going a little more straight up and down versus far. This one was a, a far jump, so I had to be going pretty fast. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just one of those moments where I kind of knew, I knew it was going to be bad, but I didn't know how bad, and I knew that I couldn't let go of the bike. I had to go down with the ship on this one. Because if you don't, on certain, on certain crashes, you end up getting hurt worse. So there's like, you know, so like, like I would like with my situation now, um, I would much rather have broken ribs than a broken knee or something having to do with that part of my body. Um, it's like if I, since I was sideways, you know, I, 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 you, there's one thing that you always do, I think as a BMX rider, and that's, you tuck your head. Cause the last thing you want to do when you know, you're going to flip over your handlebars is, uh, hit your head. So I, I tried as best I could to do that. And I think that helped a lot, but yeah, it's, it was definitely a moment where I knew something bad was going to be hap- happening, but I'm really happy. It wasn't worse. So now, now you're, you're stuck in, you're pretty much stuck in a recliner. Uh, you haven't, you haven't been able to work, so money's probably getting low. Uh, do you have health insurance? I don't, no. Um, so, so you're going to be looking at bills. I imagine that's probably starting to cause some stress. Uh, yes and no, a little bit. Um, like I said, uh, it could have been so much worse. You know, I'll take a hospital bill any day over my life being over. You know, like 
like uh, money, money can be made, but, uh, you know, like life can't be given back. Like if, if I, if I was not here anymore, that would be, you know, obviously that would be the worst case scenario. I like, I'll take a medical bill any day. A lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't have your spirits in your situation. What do you think sets you apart that you're able to stay so positive in such a really shitty place? I think it has a lot to do with who I surround myself with now. Um, like the people, like I'm lucky enough that this, this job that I was, that I was supposed to be on is a giant crew of people I've known for years that are friends of mine that, and I, I think it's just one of those things where they, they know I would probably do the same thing for them if, if they needed help. And, and that is the case. If anybody was in my situation, I would help them out as much as possible by any means necessary. And I think that I'm, I'm just very lucky to have the friends that I have that are able to kind of be around and take care of me if I need it. And, and yeah, just lucky. You know, and I'm, I'm going to say exactly what I told you when we were on the phone that day about like a week ago is you can call it luck all you want. Um, but I'm going to tell you straight up. It's, it's because you're a good dude. You know, uh, I've been friends with you for 15 years probably a little bit longer. And I know that you would do the same for everybody that's doing for you right now. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, man. So I really don't have any more questions because I would like this conversation went right where I hoped it would go. Matt, do you have anything else? No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm taking it all in. That was really, that was a really good conversation. Um, my one thing, Corey is what's your plan going forward? Like where do you, do you see yourself getting back on a bike soon? And if so, at what level and like, what, what are you going to do with it? How are you, what are you going to take from this experience? Um, the, I've, I've never really been one to kind of slow down after something like this. Um, obviously riding bikes is the one thing that I have continued to have passion for my entire life. And I don't see it slowing down. Um, it might take me a little longer to get back on a mountain bike after <laughs> this accident. Um, but, uh, I think like, you know, I'm, I'm usually not one to push the doctor's orders either. Um, so, you know, eight to 10 weeks is fine by me. I've got plenty of other things that I could direct my attention towards that, that would keep me in a good headspace and, and keep me feeling good, keep my body feeling good. Cause I definitely with being over, you know, being 30 and getting older, I don't want to push my body too hard because I don't know, you know, how many, how many of these crashes I've got left. Um, but I've been pretty lucky in the crash department 
as with as many years as I've written. Um, but I still don't look forward to it. You know, it's not something that I'm like, like, Oh, it's, like, yeah, I really hope I wrecked today. Yeah, I hope I crashed today. Like, that's never that's never that's never a thing. I mean, it, it's, it's inevitable a, in what we do. Like, it's been a while. I need to get a good one out of the way. Yeah, like it's it's inevitable. It's it's bound to happen. There's no way around it with what we do. What we do is dangerous, you know. But I think that, like we've talked about, just like having the right headspace about it, like you know, you're gonna crash. Like it's it's gonna happen, but you just need to, to know that it, as long as you have your life afterwards, there's no, like, there's no lower you can get, like, you're, you're already going to be on the way up, you know, like it, it's, it's just one of those things you gotta, you gotta keep in mind. Like, so everything could be worse. Dude, I it, man, that's, I, I think that's a strong note to end on. Yeah. Corey, thanks so much for joining us all the way from, from Park City. Uh, Dude, thanks so much for having me on. I'm this, was, this was great. Um, You're the first guest, buddy. <clears throat> oh, nice. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've never, I've never done one of these before, so I'm stoked it was, it was with uh, one of my good friends. Sweet. Well, maybe I, I think we could continue this conversation even further, um, and we could go on for another 30 minutes, hour, but let's, we should cut it off here and you know, maybe come back, revisit how you're doing when you're all healed up and when you're back on the bike and riding. That'd be really cool. That would be really Sure. Cool. Yeah, yeah, we could definitely do that. All right. So guys, thanks for listening. Ron, you were awesome. Corey, uh, I loved your story. Um, again, if you have any feedback for us, let us know, guys. And we are really excited to roll out a few more episodes and interviews just like this one. Um, we'll get Corey back on here in a few weeks and, and catch up with him, see where he's at. But again, thanks guys. We are out. <laughs> <laughs>